Welcome to the Gateworld Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the Gateworld Podcast this week. You're listening to episode number five, coming to you straight from Gateworld.net, the site voted most likely to cause internal bleeding. Visit us now for the latest Stargate news and features at www.gateworld.net. In this week's podcast, we're talking about the Daedalus Variations, episode four of the new season of Stargate Atlantis. We'll also give you a sneak preview of our upcoming interview with Atlantis writer Carl Binder, and we've got a lot of listener mail to dig into in the mailbag. But first, we'll start off with the latest Stargate news and Gateworld features. We don't leave our people behind, unless they're fans of Lucius Lavin. The Gateworld podcast starts right now. My name is Darren Sumner, and joining me as always is Gateworld's co-editor, David Reed. How are you doing, David? I am good, dude. Number five, my favorite number, by the way. We made it all the way to number five. Who, who knew that we'd come this far? <laughs> There's only great things ahead as we're getting ready to start doing some new things and welcome some special guests, starting with tonight, Gateworld Forum moderator Tammy Farrar is joining us for our discussion of the Deadless Variations in just a few minutes. Tammy's a really close friend of mine. We actually, a complete coincidence, we actually live five minutes from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, I, when I moved out here to Arizona, that was not planned. You didn't so. move from uh, Illinois to Arizona to be closer to Tammy? Nope, but it's a happy bonus. Well, as I said in the opening, we've got lots of viewer mail to get to at the end of the show, but uh, we also wanted to tell everyone that we're excited to open up the phone lines and give you a chance to be heard on the GateWorld podcast. Anytime you have a Stargate thought you want to share, if you want to tell us what you thought of the latest episode of Stargate, if you want to give us some feedback on the podcast, just call 616-712-1647. Again, that number is 616-712-1647. And remember, long-distance rates do apply. So to break in the new GateWorld podcast hotline, let's put it to use. We have our first contest. We're giving away two copies of Stargate Continuum to GateWorld Podcast listeners. Just call the new hotline by this Sunday, August 10th, 2008, and tell us which ball episode, other than Continuum, is your favorite and why. Be sure when you call in to include your name, where you're calling from, the episode title, and don't just tell us the title, tell us why you love it. You must also include your exact email address in your voicemail. We won't play that on the air, but we do need to be able to contact you if you are a winner. And if there's any question about the spelling in your email address, spell it out for us. For a chance to win a copy of Stargate Continuum, give us a call at 616-712-1647. We'll pick our favorite two responses and announce the winners next week. Stargate News. Here's your look at the latest Stargate news from GateWorld for August 5th, 2008. If you don't want to wait until January for the second half of Season 5... The final 10 episodes actually might air this fall. Normally when the show premieres in the summer, it takes a break for the fall months and returns to air the back half of the season between January and March. But executive producer Joseph Malazzi has hinted that the Sci-Fi Channel may air the rest of the season this year. There is nothing official from the network yet, but it has been announced that Amanda Tapping's new series Sanctuary will have a two-hour premiere on October 3rd. And after that, it will get Atlantis's 10 p.m. Friday night time slot. 
Sci-Fi might be planning to bump Atlantis up to 9 p.m. and use it as Sanctuary's lead-in show, which would certainly make sense. Now, David, if they hold off Atlantis until January, we could have the show back with Battlestar Galactica again. Yeah, you know, that would be fantastic, in my opinion, because, you know, I hear people talking on the street to this day, you know, Sci-Fi Friday was perfect when it was the Stargates and Battlestar. Yeah, you know? and that was And if we could get that recovered, ratings. exactly, you know, even for 10 nights, you know, that would still be very, very nice. There's big casting news out for this week, courtesy of executive producer Joseph Malazzi, Dave Foley, Bill Nye the Science Guy, and real-life astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson will appear in the upcoming episode Brainstorm. Foley starred in the sitcom News Radio and before that was a member of the Canadian sketch comedy show The Kids in the Hall. Bill Nye has been entertaining and educating kids and adults for years as the Science Guy, hosting his own series for nearly a decade. And Neil deGrasse Tyson holds a PhD in astrophysics and holds a PBS series Nova Science Now. He also serves as director of the Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History. Brainstorm is written and directed by Martin Garrow and is now filming. I'm really excited about this. Of these three names, I mean, it's cool to have a name like Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I think uh, pretty much everybody that I know knows the name Bill Nye. Oh, yeah, I grew up with him. I grew up uh, with him on PBS. You know, the name that I'm actually most excited about is Dave Foley because I'm a big Kids in the Hall fan. And uh, what we know about the episode, if we start to speculate, without getting into spoilers here, if we speculate about the role that Dave Foley might be playing, boy, he could be really hilarious going up against McKay. The first photos are now online for Whispers, the seventh episode of the new season of Atlantis. For fans who like spoilers, we also have brand new details on Infection over at the website. That episode is currently in spot number 17 for the season. Since this podcast is a no-spoiler zone, visit GateWorld for the complete details. GateWorld Features Our official review of Stargate Continuum is now on the site. We analyze everything about the movie and the DVD release, from the characters and the visual effects to the musical score and the bonus features. Find out just why we think Continuum is one of the best Stargate stories ever. Our newest interview with Michael Shanks is now on the site. Chad Colvin caught up with Michael at the Creation Convention in Vancouver back in April, and the two talked about Stargate Continuum, the Ark of Truth, and Michael's new project with Christopher Judge, Rage of Angels. Visit the site now to find that interview. And next up on the interviews list is Carl Binder, who has written several fan-favorite episodes of Atlantis. We got his opinions on Season 4 and some nice tidbits on what's to come this year. Here's a clip from Carl. The, the episodes I connect with the most are the ones that are the smaller, more intimate. I, you know, it's so, so funny. I, I do read the, the message boards and see the response that people have to, to episodes that I do. And, and, and oftentimes, I really like episodes that the fans are maybe like, oh, you know, that wasn't one of my favorites, or I didn't, you know, um, you know like Miller's Crossing or, or uh, um, for me, Missing, uh, you know, that eh, Keller's whiny. You know, but... <laughs> But but for me, I, you know, that was like one of my favorite uh, of the ones I did last year. That in quarantine, oddly enough, the two that the fans responded most to, Midway and Lifeline, were oh yeah okay for me, you know. <laughs> so it, it's it's funny because I because I don't come from sci-fi background, I find myself the stories that have good personal dilemmas, you know, especially like Miller's Crossing had such a great moral dilemma that we were. Mm-hmm. that Shepard was placed in, and I just eat that up. I love that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. 
I do enjoy the big, you know, be all my sins remembered with the big huge space battle. That was really cool, but uh, uh, so I, mean, I enjoy those episodes too. But the ones I, when we were trying to figure out to do a small episode, and I think it was uh, Joe Malazzi who said, well, what if we're all kind of trapped in different places? I right away said, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I want to do that one. So I'm more attracted to stories where we can really get into characters and just see them not behaving in their typical way. GateWorld's complete interview with Carl Binder will be available on the site next week. The main discussion. Our main discussion topic today is the new episode of Atlantis, The Daedalus Variations. David and I are joined today by Tammy Farrar. Welcome to the roundtable. I am happy to be here. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. And you've been listening to these ridiculous little podcasts here for a few weeks? I have from day one. I have been excited. Well, you're definitely going to bring up our game, I think. Uh I'm bringing in the female perspective and the the good taste. What did you think of the episode, Tammy? I have to say that I was pleasantly surprised yet underwhelmed. Hmm. Really? I thought that some of the um, the CGI was just incredible. The wide shots, oh my goodness, were those awesome or what? You mean like uh, the Daedalus, the, the yes. F-302s? Yeah. Yes, although the battle shots, all of that. I expected to have a lot more tension than there was. Um, I expected there to be a little bit more suspense there than there was, I think, because they were flipping through the realities so fast hmm. that I didn't get as much of the tension as I expected to get. And I got it a few times. McKay, he, you know, he's always hyperactive. I got that from him, but not really from everybody else. And um, it seemed uh, so that it it didn't seem like there was enough time to build that up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Outside of that, though, Mm -hmm. I mean, overall, I really enjoyed the overall put-togetherness of it. Yeah, it's got a cool little sci-fi premise with Mm -hmm. the parallel realities and the interdimensional drive. I agree with you there. As soon as Alan McCullough mentioned this episode to us when we, were, when we were up there, I was like, this is an episode that I'm going to enjoy watching. And it did not disappoint in that regard. I had fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite this season so far. Yeah. I you know, there's, and I know there's a lot of good ones coming up, but uh, this, was, this was really an, it, was, it was a nice, fun episode. You know, Stargate's been doing a lot of good, fun stuff lately. Yep, it's a nice team so. episode. Everybody gets involved and gets something to do. There's space battles and lots of visual effects and... There's mm. the Daedalus. We like to see the ship. And there's that cool little sci-fi premise with the alternate realities. You know, it was so nice to see Taylor doing stuff, you know? <laughs> it was not, nice. Not just, not just with child, you know, or not just carrying a child around, you know? Actually pushing buttons, like, yes! It was cool that, she's, that you found out that she's actually been taking the time to learn stuff about the systems. Mm-hmm. That's a nice little contrast with Ronan and her little exchange there where... She says, Major Marks kindly offered to give us the introduction, and Ronan looks at her and says, I was busy. <laughs> yeah. It's a great contrast. Both yeah. of them are, are aliens, and both of them are, are you know relatively new to Earth technology and the team, to see that contrast between their personalities. Well, she's it's been in charge of Atlantis operations before. You know, she has to have some experience with that. It's also a male-female perspective, because when really? you look at it, it really is. That was the first thing I noticed was the male-female side of it. Well, if bring you us ask. the female perspective. <laughs> is that the women, We, if you ask us how something works, if you go into a scenario where there's not a lot of action, it's a little more tedious, it has um, just something that you have to kind of just stand there and deal with and deal with and deal with and repetition, uh, we have more patience. 
and the men want to get in there, get mix it up a bit. They're more action. And when you put that uh, perspective with Taylor and Ronan, who do you think is going to stand there and deal with that more? Definitely not Ronan. Yeah, he got a little frustrated <laughs> with the console towards the end of the firefight. Banging oh. it, yeah. Oh, was that not funny with the, uh, whoa there, Chewy? <laughs> Those Did he even take friends. out one chip? Yeah, no, exactly. I don't think so. That was so funny, especially, what was it, Podcast 3, where you called uh, David was supposed to be having a romance with Chewy? Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, we've known for quite some time that, that Ronan is is uh, is uh, Shepard's Chewbacca. But uh, I, I think it's been mentioned once before yeah, in the I show. Yeah, I think there was one other on-screen reference to Chewy. That was hilarious. A great moment, great moment for him. You know, and I definitely are- wrote down there. Cannot write, I wrote cannot hit the broadside of a barn. <laughs> I do think this is a quintessential team episode. Everybody had something to do, and even though Ronan was frustrated with his lack of ability to do things, it was. I mean, that was played up. What about the whole part with Rodney and Taylor working together? You don't see that. Yeah, that's true. We don't see those two paired up very often, do we? Mm-mm. That was yeah. very nice, you know? Mm-hmm. I was expecting them to talk about Torin because Rodney complained earlier in that episode that she wouldn't let him hold him. And I thought he was going to bring that up, despite the fact that it would have been relatively inappropriate. I thought that's what they would do, but they didn't go that route, and that was kind of a surprise. But it was nice to see those two communicating and, and building a bit of a bond. Well, and as he was giving her all the instructions through the thing there about what to turn off, she was right there with him the whole time. And then when she even caught, if I'm not mistaken, she caught something and, you know, had to get him back on task because he was starting to have a little freak out moment. She was like, Rodney, focus, you know, we have our own mission here. And so and then the same thing with uh, Ronan having that actually had a deep moment there when they were in the cargo bay. Mm-hmm. He was, um, you know, telling Taylor, there's there's millions of realities going on here. You know, are you going to worry about all of them? Or are you going to focus on the one we've got? Yeah, that's very poignant. They really did a good job in in different spots where they really brought the team together. One of the highlights of the episode, I think, really is these new bad guys. We get to see them up close. We get to see their ships. We get to see them fighting in combat, see some of their strategies for infiltrating a vessel. What do you guys think of the new bad guys? No name for them. No? <laughs> that is my main beef. They need a name. Oh, they were cool looking, though, weren't they, though? They were oh, really cool. Impressive. I thought they were just cool looking. Although, um, I've already read some things about people going, Borg, Borg. <laughs> Yeah, I think people are a little too quick to jump to the Borg conclusion just because they've got a little bit of technology implanted in them and they've got Mm -hmm. gray skin and they're I like the little red lights in their head, though. That was cool. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool look. And, of course, the first time that we meet one face-to-face, it's it's the old Star Trek The Next Generation Worf syndrome. He's got to beat up the big tough guy. Once we (laughs) see that he's handed Ronan's ass to him, then we know (laughs) that he's tough. Yeah, Fork didn't occur to me at all. Actually, I um when when it was it was yelling and growling at him and showing its teeth, I was thinking Urukai. I was thinking orcs. Got a orcs. Tolkien orcs. Oh really? Wow. Yeah, the, the Urukai from Lord of the Rings. You know the, uh-huh. the big ones. Yeah, the big muscular ones. Mm-hmm. Very threatening and and menacing, and you know, kick the crap out of you, and you can you can slice off their arm with a sword, and they'll still come after you. You know, just that <laughs> that kind of menacing. Mm-hmm. 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 I didn't think anything. I guess either way, I just you know that's what I had read on the forum, and I just thought they were cool. I just thought, oh, these guys are badasses. I wish we would have spent a little bit more time because they were kind of the only outsiders. I wish we would have spent just a little bit. More 
more time finding out or at least had them talk or something or find out how they communicated? Is there a thought maybe they'll bring them back? Yeah. They it's a nice open door. They didn't really, you know, make any threats to our guys. We never mm-hmm. heard an explanation as to why they were attacking Atlantis. Yeah, and I really I really would have liked to have known that. Yeah, I have to wonder if, if the writers are maybe setting them up for a return appearance down the road. Because they were cool. Or it could be a one-off. You know, I, I mean, hope what, I hope what was it in uh, in uh, Season 9's Ripple Effect? You know, our, our dark, dark Mitchell says to Green Mitchell, you know, when the time comes, cut the green one or whatever it was. There are some things that just remain left undone. Yeah, the you know? foothold aliens from SG-1 Season oh, yeah. 3. We still have yeah, the fish those people. guys back. Oh, that's true. Although they did use the little doomahickeys. Oh, but, yeah, they used their technology. So in their eyes, maybe they did. Who knows? But these guys would be really cool to come back because they looked cool. And the Ritu. Why did we never see the Ritu again after season two of SG-1? Seeing is the reason there. They were too expensive, despite the <laughs> fact that they were invisible. <laughs> Invi- expensive, invisible aliens. Now, how does that happen? <laughs> but no, I really hope that these guys will be making a return appearance. And I have an inkling that they might not be gone, especially if uh, fan reception remains positive across the board. I sure hope. So because they're so different. Mm-hmm. They're not run-of-the-mill humans like the Jedi that we're running into in the Pegasus galaxy. There aren't enough aliens advanced. in this show. Yeah. There are not enough technologically advanced aliens in this show. Yeah, they keep on dying off. <laughs> with the Wraith around, there's a really great explanation. But yeah, well, with, with the Replicators largely out of the picture now, I think it's cool to have a, a cool, non-human, technologically advanced bad guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. that isn't a booger. A booger? Mm-hmm. That's what From he seed. referred to the wraith oh, virus okay. that took over Keller as a giant booger. That puts a picture in my head. David is nothing if not witty. Ah, okay. And I am not witty. I'm going to go back to the new bad guys. I, I like their ships, too. <laughs> <laughs> their shit, you know, as the first thing I thought of when I saw that was Star Destroyer. Yeah, um, me too. It's just an, a giant arrow. But it was cool. It was, it was very well done. I like that they were different. Yeah. I like that everything about him was different, but it wasn't so different that um, it couldn't be redone. And, you know, and that's sad when that's the first thing you think of, but that is what I thought of. I thought, okay, this isn't so far-fetched that this can't be redone, you know, and come back. Yeah, I like that they spent some time with their fighters. One of mm-hmm. my beefs about the Ori fighters was we never saw them. They were always flying by. And the, on- the only time that fans could actually see them was if they went online and they found some of those renders for the concept art, for what the oh. fighters looked like. They're these gorgeous ships. Yeah. And we never see them. Because they just they're, move they're too blur. fast through frame. Oh, I know. Wow. The, the camera doesn't fly with them. And that was one of the really cool things about this this episode is they spend some time focusing on those little ships. Mm-hmm. These little fighters and their mothership, I think, are probably the coolest ships that I've ever seen on Atlantis. I think Atlantis has a little bit of lack of imagination when it comes to ship design. The ancient ships, ancient warships, like the Tria and the Hippophoralgus. Yeah, yeah, the, the Orion. Aurora. <laughs> I think are just, you know, boring tin can designs. And then we get the Travelers last year, and the Traveler ship designs were really nothing to write home about. I mean, these... These guys are cool with their yeah, ships. They are. It's, it's sleek, you know. The the wraith ship, uh, the design for that, the the ancient ship and the the traveler ship, you know, which is kind of a, po- a positive in, a, in in terms of one respect. They designed them, I think, for functionality. But the this um, this giant warship for these new guys was designed to look cool. 
And it did. It does. It does. I think they did a really good job with that. The other thing I think that we missed out on in the realities, just to kind of jump back, was um, was why did the other crew, why did they leave? And I wish we would have seen more of that. And why were there all the scorch marks on the Daedalus? Mm-hmm. That was two things I wish we would have known more about. I think it's safe to say the ship went through a bit of a firefight in, in a couple oh. of different realities. And, but I think they abandoned ship because they ran out of supplies. Well, you know, I think they, they kind of said up. that in there. But, you know, how did they get to that point? You do kind of guess, well, were they stranded just the same as everybody else? But it was just something that it would have been nice if they would have focused on a couple of the more interesting ones. The Sun one, that was interesting, but not really that interesting. That's where you weren't really feeling the tension. Like when, you know, they're, they're stuck at the sun. The only person that seemed mm-hmm. really freaked out by the whole thing was McKay. Everybody mm-hmm. else was like, okay, we're by a sun. Hello. That's a good point, Tammy. This is one of the few gripes that I have about this episode. Because I really like the episode, but the execution of what I keep calling is this really cool sci-fi premise of leaping from one reality to the next, where there's a different version of Atlantis, and are we there, are we not? Is Atlantis even there? The universes that we get to see, there's only four of them, and... Other than the aliens attacking, I I didn't think that there was really much to write home about. Mm-hmm. And see, I'm much more of a realist. I was looking at this up, uh, at this show, you know, I was thinking 99 out of 100 leaps, there would be nothing. Space is big and it's empty. And most oh. of the time, there would be nothing interesting from, from leap to leap. But they're supposed to be in the same spot. So the planet would always be there. So I right. mean, they, they pretty much gave you your premise right at the get-go. So the only mystery that's going to happen is what's going on in that reality within that ship and around that ship. Yeah, so, of, course, yeah. of course Atlantis is only on this planet because we moved it here. Right. Exactly. So, I imagine ago. most of the time Atlantis was, at, was still on Lantia. So knowing that, then... That's where I guess I kind of went with, okay, well, the few things that you did execute, like Darren was saying, that they, you know, done a little bit more with. There's a lot of quiet time universes. The universe where the planet doesn't exist and they're in an asteroid field. Mm-hmm. And the first reality where Atlantis just isn't yeah. there and there's nothing going on. Yeah. It's just quiet time for the characters to run around and kind of figure out what's going on on the ship and try and make repairs. It's really the alien yeah, they had to have reality those. and the sun were the only, the only realities where anything was going on outside the ship. I guess I kind of That's... expected something a little bit more like Next Generation's episode Parallels which is the season seven episode where Worf kind of gets unstuck and starts skipping from alternate reality from one to the next. And there's a lot more going on in that episode. The jumps are a lot more frequent, and there are different subtle changes every time, which I guess there's only so many subtle changes you can notice when your jumping is happening on board the Daedalus. Mm -hmm. I think it would have been nice if we would have known how long was it in between jumps. Because they really never gave you a time frame. Yeah, and then they start to speed up. Right, and you never really knew, okay, well, how fast? Is it an hour? Is it five hours? Is it a day? You know, yeah, so you it really just kind of happens. How long that was. Right. You couldn't really put it in a context with, okay, that makes sense to me because they only have three hours. Or it makes sense because they only have six hours. But, I mean, overall, again, you know, only so much they can do in there. So you can't complain too much. But I would have liked to have gotten a little more background or a little more interaction with those few places that they could have. Yeah, it would have been nice to have a little bit more than just the radio interaction with one alternate shepherd to at least get to see, well, in some realities, this person's in command of Atlantis or that person or, you know, the replicators have taken over Atlantis or the ancients are there. 
a mm-hmm. little bit more variety outside the ship. Mm-hmm. I was hoping for that that alternate Shepard for something really interesting to happen. I mean, I didn't expect him to like go bad guy and start shooting them up, but you know, I was kind of hoping that one of the alien fighters would have taken him out and killed him. Something a little different than would have been. You know, just this is this is Shepard from an alternate reality saying hello and goodbye. You know, you're going to leap again. That would have been. That- Maybe trying to shout a warning about the aliens just as they're leaving. Yeah. Watch out, their name is. And oh, yeah, you know. Well, yeah, I know. That, that's one of the first things that I would have said, you know, like, oh, John Shepard, you're great. Oh, thank you, John Shepard, you're great as well. Like, who the heck are these people? Why are they attacking? Quickly tell me before I disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, because uh, this is this is valuable intel that we might be able to use, you know. Let's go out and find some more trouble to get ourselves into again. <laughs> Instead of doing the whole ego stroke moment. Yeah. <laughs> and I was also expecting the Daedalus to blow up by the end of this, you know, and instead, you know, it just continues on its merry way and ends up probably ending its journey in some other reality, which I thought I thought was a nice change. You know, because mm-hmm. all the places that we visit in all of these episodes are frequently, you know, end up being destroyed before we leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you were happy that the ship didn't blow up at the end? Yeah. It was either I that or acquire me. an additional Daedalus, which <laughs> wouldn't have been bad. Yeah. Now, what about this alternate Atlantis team that we find dead on the ship? There's been a bit of conversation on the forum this week about this. How did they die? Is it realistic that they died of a lack of supplies? I mean, why didn't they just decide to jump in their puddle jumper and go look for supplies? Sure looks like they did take it lying down, didn't they? Yeah, they all got together in some random corner and decided to lay down. Yeah, (laughs) that's very odd. I know, I wrote that down to myself. I went okay, they're all in the same room, and nobody mentioned how they died. I don't know if it was definitive or if it was just speculation, but at some point McKay or somebody says or speculates that they ran out of supplies. Right, yeah, yeah. that was so about they it. starved to death. And they all went and laid in the room with the drive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we understand why our shepherd didn't want the team leaving the Daedalus mm-hmm. to go to the planet and look for supplies because the drive could fire up at any minute and they could be lost forever. But when this other team gets to the point where they're literally falling down dead, then I think maybe you've got to stick with the reality you're in. Right. Yeah. McKay still had a lot of his body fat, you know. He he would have lost some of that before the end. <laughs> and he would have made good eats, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Alton Brown would be proud. <laughs> Jeez. You think but you know, would have gone for some barbecue at some point? I think oh, at some man. point, yeah. I think we would have had Rackathai there, Racka McKay. <laughs> oh, jeez. But, You're... you know, that was... I did not expect to see uh, an alternate team. And their their defeat was on the team's mind through the rest of the episode. We, no, we've I've... been through this before and we couldn't figure it out. So how do you expect us to figure it out? That's great. Uh, how long have they been dead for? place was like a meat locker. It could have been preserved like this for months. They look just like us. Because they are us. The alternate reality versions of us. I feel like someone just walked over my grave. Take it easy. Everything's fine. Oh, no, 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 no. This is very bad. What? Could this tablet belong to the other McKay? They weren't part of the original crew. They came here just like us. Look, a, a ship appeared in orbit over their Atlantis. They came to check it out. That would explain the other jumper in the bay. A ship jumped to another reality and they were stuck. They, they, they couldn't get back. Look, eventually their supplies ran out and, and they, they... All right, all right. Mr. Solve, let's move on. Now, don't you realize what this means? They were us and they failed. I thought I would it was have a really had, nice twist to see them there. I would have had more fun if they would have been alive and then in a jump not been there. 
or they decide, you know, we've, we're weakened, we're tired, we want to get off this train and jumped off on a planet or something and said, we're going to turn this over to you. That would have, to huh. me, would have been fun. Let them go through, you know, having two Ronins, two Shepherds during the alien battle or something. And then, you know, the next time they come up, they have a planet that's inhabited saying, you know, we're done. We're getting off. It does make a nice twist, though, to f- to end the act with the team finding their own dead bodies. I yes. Whatever you say about how else it might have been done, I think it was a really cool decision. Because I was expecting pretty much everything else in this episode. We knew the bad guys were coming. If you'd watched the teaser on sci-fi or paid attention to the pre-episode buzz, we knew the premise of the episode about skipping realities. This This was, I think, the one surprise that the episode held for me. But the fact that there was already a jumper in the bay, why would there be a jumper in the bay? Yeah, I, I didn't consider that. You know, that was a surprise. I didn't yeah. take that bait. When I saw that jumper, I think, I'm sorry, all of my references innately go back to Star Trek The Next Generation. I thought of uh, The Next Generation episode Time Squared where Picard shows up in yeah. a copy of the shuttle. So here we are in a puddle jumper flying into the Daedalus and there's a puddle jumper already parked there. I, I suspected that there was another team another copy of our team at play at some Uh, point that was my first thought was okay if all the f302s are gone but there's a puddle jumper there my first thought was there's already another team there so it didn't really shock me that there was a dead team there it shocked me where they were and i thought okay that's kind of you know but it it didn't give me as much as it as it did you guys apparently it didn't occur to me at all i just saw a puddle jumper and i just kept on watching i guess i didn't really get how rodney got to his conclusion other than I understood he said he had to think dumb or he had to not think like himself and think Mm. like Shepard. The one thing that kind of gets me is, you know, they've alluded many, many times to how Shepard is a Mensa member. Yeah, he's very intelligent. Yeah, so when they turn around and make those references, it kind of makes you go, what? Because that doesn't always make sense when they do that. So when he And then when he was trying to explain it, it was kind of like, okay, so previously we couldn't reverse, but now all of a sudden we can. I don't know if I was lost in the techno babble. Maybe yeah. if I sat and watched it and just really focused on what he was saying, I could get it again. And, you know, it could be I was at that point just caught by that moment. Yeah, the second time I watched the episode, I tried to focus a little bit more on McKay's explanation there. And I don't mm-hmm. think his implication is that he's trying to think dumb like Shepard. It's that he's trying to think like somebody other than Rodney McKay. Okay. Because Rodney McKay has already were, failed. There were two other Rodney McKays, <laughs> the one who he thinks invented the drive to begin with, who was part of the ship's original crew, and then obviously this, this alternate version who was there dead. Neither of them could solve it. So obviously he also had the advantage of having their work, and he found the other Rodney's tablet to, to work off of. Right, right. So he could sort of progress beyond where that Rodney had gotten to by the time he had died. But yeah, he said he, he had to stop thinking like Rodney McKay. So what was his, how did he actually get to that reverse conclusion? What was the... Shepard had made a comment earlier about, can't you just throw it in reverse? Right. So he apparently started thinking along those lines, how do I throw this in reverse, and was able to figure it out that way. Whereas originally, when Shepard had first said that, he said, I just dismissed it out of hand. Because Ah, it was was you. Okay. He couldn't map skipped realities, but he he could go one after the other and map their way back that way. Okay, so that it was just how he said it, then that I just wasn't picking it up. Okay. Yeah, I think the way the drive works is that he says, McKay says that they came up with a system of coordinates to plot different realities. And I got the impression that he was sort of working with that system the whole time to try and find their way back. And eventually he decided that that plan of attack was not going to work. So he thought of Shepard's suggestion, which was just throw the drive in reverse and trace their path backwards. I was surprised by the spacesuits. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't surprised by that. I knew that they would be floating in space. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw that one coming. So explain this to me, why they had to use the suits instead of being able to get back to the jumper. There was no time. I guess there was no time to get to the jumpers. There was just enough time to get the suits on and, and exit the ship through a through a docking port. Um, didn't the just, um, the bad guy decompress the whole area where the jumpers were with that bomb? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, maybe I think cut he, off their route. Yeah, he, yeah. he decompressed so everything to, going that way. So they just found a set of uh, spacesuits and and left through a docking port, like we know these ships have, and uh, just floated together until uh, until they could get picked up. Which was a gamble. All right, gang, overall impressions of the Daedalus variations this week. I gave it a 9 out of 10. You really liked it? I really liked it. Best of the season so far? For me, yes. Props to Alan McCullough for writing a darn good episode. Tim, how about you? Well, I would definitely say it's the best I've seen this far this season. Um, I don't know if I'd go so far as a 9 out of 10, but it definitely has been the funnest episode that I've watched so far this season. Awesome special effects. Yeah, they really pulled out the budget stops for the special effects in this one. Yes. Uh, I love the episode. I think that it was definitely the best of the season. It wasn't perfect. I expected it to be a little bit more fast-paced, a little bit less trying to figure out the right button to push to give the technological fix. I think at the beginning of the episode, the pace was a little bit slower than I expected it to be or would have liked it to be. It would have been nice to, to realize earlier that we were jumping through alternate realities and then get to see more of the alternate realities. So not a perfect episode, but definitely the best of the season so far. I really love this episode, but if there was anything that um, I would have added or changed, you know, like the, like the fast pace, you know, the first reality that we skip to is a is an empty reality where we can spend time figuring out what happened. I would have thought it was would be much more interesting if it was so fast paced where we went through reality after reality in the very first few minutes of just nothing but cataclysm in each reality. And they have they don't have time to think about what's going on. They just keep on blowing through one reality after another of just a catastrophe and only like through the middle part of the episode do we finally begin to realize what is actually happening to us a much more adrenaline pumped way to negotiate that episode i think would have been much more appealing i have to agree with you there that would have been more fun that would have made it more <laughs> yeah exactly like i mean you, you, the first reality that you that you leap to we're being boarded and the very next reality that we leap to you know we're about to be set on fire by a star you know and but mm-hmm. make them much faster yeah, um, I, I agree. Tell more stories. They could have thrown in a few more just to make it more tense, more, yeah. So they didn't yeah. know what was going on. I agree with you there. Well, that's the Daedalus Variations. Tammy, thanks so much for joining the panel. Thank you for having me. I hope you had a little tiny bit of fun. Ah, lots of fun. Love to do it again. You are listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Listener Mail. Last week, we had our first question for listeners. We asked what you want to see from the future of the franchise. If you want to see the movie first, if you want to see the next TV series first, or if you think MGM might go ahead and do both at the same time. And how does this affect Stargate Atlantis continuing on into a possible sixth season? David, who's our first listener we had a lot of responses for this one, and uh, Stargate fans, if anything, can be counted on for their opinions. Uh, we have Gelgate first. I truthfully don't believe, he says, or she says, that we can have a third movie, Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. I personally think we should stay with the third movie and Stargate Atlantis. I'm not entirely sold on the SGU plot, and it's not exactly going anywhere. 
Also, my sources tell me the powers that be don't want to run Stargate Universe and Stargate Atlantis together. I'm not going to be a happy fan if SGA gets canceled to make room for SGU. Yeah, this is one of the things that Brad said to us in the spring, is that he personally is not anxious to be producing 20 hours for two TV shows at the same time again, like they did for the last three seasons of SG-1. Yeah, it was good for production purposes, you know, that these two shows could share a lot of sets, but that's 40 hours of television a year. That's a lot of television. Yeah, and then when you factor in possible movies, obviously Arc of Truth and Continuum seem to be doing very, very well. So if MGM wants a third SG-1 movie, then if you've got Atlantis Season 6, Universe Season 1, and at least one movie in the pipe, then suddenly you're up to 42 hours of production. One thing we're assured of is that we're going to get more Stargate. It's just a question of what kind and when. Yeah. Jedi Master Braytac has a similar opinion. He writes, I think if Continuum does well financially, then a third DVD movie is a given. If it's true that they don't want to do 40 episodes a year again, and Atlantis has to end in order for Stargate Universe to start, then I'd like to see Stargate Atlantis run its course and Universe replace it when Atlantis is finished. I would hate Atlantis to get canceled halfway through for Stargate Universe. Stargate Lover writes... I think that they're going to clear the movie before the series. My main reason for this is that I think that when both SG-1 and Atlantis were airing, it was a bit too much for the producers, not to mention the viewers, having to try and keep track of both shows. I have enough trouble just making time for Atlantis. I think that unless Atlantis and Universe do run at the same time for at least one year, or there's at least a one-year gap, I think that Stargate Universe is going to get blamed for being the end of Atlantis. Yeah, I can see there's a fear of that, too. And it would be interesting, you know. Let's let's put it on the table here for a second, you know. what? How would Universe benefit from the Stargate franchise remaining dormant on television for a year, you know? And giving them a chance to make something really, really incredible. Getting an inventory of stories built up. giving Getting, God forbid, perhaps a series arc installed before they start writing it. You know, which is one of the things that I love about a number of other sci-fi shows out there is they know exactly where they're going. I can hear a lot of people gasping for air if I, if I say, you know, take Stargate off the air for a year. I know it's a bold thought, but uh, I think the positives would, would exceed the negatives in this, you know. I know MGM wants the franchise to make money, you know, but I think for the long-term health of the show, maybe, maybe letting the franchise lie dormant on television for a season would be the way to go. And then bringing in Universe in after Atlantis has finished its run. I think it'd be a, a powerhouse of an, of an amazing television show because they've had a chance to build it up. Yeah, I think there's definitely pros and cons to taking Stargate off the air for a short period of time. The con being that you lose the production momentum and you lose the buzz of having Stargate out there. You sort of have to rebuild your audience a little bit once the show comes back. Well, I'm not saying at all to to completely pull Stargate from from all mainstream media. I'm talking another SG-1 movie after Atlantis has finished or another or an Atlantis film while that show is finished, but but giving them a chance to focus and pool their collective energy so that every single episode that comes out is an absolute 10, you know, I think would be would be awfully compelling. I'm not suggesting that we shut down Stargate Productions for a year, but I, I could survive. If I knew that in the process it would bring a great deal of quality entertainment that was worth waiting for. Wraith Girl 
I really like the podcast, and I'm glad it's covering all of the Stargate stuff, not just new episodes. I had a quick question for you guys. In your second podcast, you were saying that to do more Stargate stuff, you had to follow a basic Stargate formula. I agree, but I was just wondering, what do you guys consider the formula for Stargate? I think Stargate, in order to continue to set itself apart from Star Trek and other science fiction entertainment, I think Stargate has to continue to be set in the here and now. It has to have that edge of realism where it feels like us, like ordinary people, going out and having these crazy adventures and meeting really over-the-top system lords and finding Zat guns. I think that's a basic element to the Stargate formula. And, don't hesitate to mention, I think it should include the Stargate I think there should be a lot more Stargate travel than there has been in Atlantis in recent years. Yeah, one of my big beefs with the show, you know, when they didn't build a a location in Stargate, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, man, they're going to have to CG it in, and CG costs money, and, you know, that's an icon of the show. That's an absolute icon. But, you know, I mean, it's uh, they, they go through the gate, they get into trouble, they get out of it again, sometimes with scars. In my opinion, that's one of the basic tenets of the show right there. Again, going through the gate. But again, I would I would still love to see Stargate Universe mix up the formula a little bit, maybe be a little bit more dramatic and a little bit less action-adventure. Not that we should lose the action-adventure aspect of the show, obviously. That's sort of the subgenre that Stargate has placed itself in. But I'd like to see a lot more drama than we have in recent years. When you say drama, would you be okay with it being a little less aware of itself as a sci-fi television show a little bit more serious because um, that's think- that's one of the things that stargate ha- is is very good at at times and then not so good at other times being a little winky winky and you know we actually know that we're a sci-fi show but we're not saying it i think you can't get rid of that entirely i think some of that is always fun stargate has always had a really good sense of humor and i think that is basic to its formula But, yeah, I mean, as a drama, it could be a little more serious and a little less winky-winky. I wouldn't ever want it to go all the way as far as something like Battlestar Galactica in terms of a really dark, serious character drama. It's, It's not that kind of a show. It's not that kind of a franchise. It's a tough balance, and it's tough to describe what you mean by drama instead of action-adventure, Yeah. in addition to... Yeah, those types of classifications don't really peg very well into their respective holes when you've got something like Stargate, which, which can be something very different from week to week. But I guess what it comes down to for Stargate Universe is I, I would like to see it maintain the Stargate formula and be different. Yeah. Take risks. Do something new. Yeah. Don't be, don't be so predictable. David, we have our very first call into the Gate World podcast hotline. Hi, this is Scott calling from Birmingham, Alabama. I wanted to congratulate the Stargate franchise on the direct-to-DVD movies, both Arc of Truth and Continuum. I just got finished listening to Darren and David's podcast, episode number four, and I have to agree that this movie is exciting because it is everything that I have loved about Stargate since 1997 and watching Children of the Gods. It gave all the characters wonderful moments. I have already seen it twice, once uh, once the morning it came out before I head to class, and then another time listening to Brad and Martin's commentary. I cannot wait for it to watch it a second time with my father, who I have been watching Stargate with for years, and it's sort of our father-son bonding thing. Uh, one question I did wonder if Dan and David could ask is, that, is there any way that we can get the script lines of the montage between Carter, 
Jackson and Mitchell when they were being uh, interrogated about the Stargate program and the alternate timeline. You can pick up bits and pieces of what all three of them are saying, but is there any way that we can find out individually what they're saying without all being mixed up so we can catch on to the little subtleties that they are saying? That scene in itself is a wonderful treat for fans because I even heard uh, Mitchell talking about Casa and the space corn, and that was just hilarious. And then at the end, the characters get so dark and frustrated, like you almost never see them get on the show because it's a family show. It just showed how Continuum rewarded all of us fans for everything that we love about Stargate and then pushed it to the next level because it was directed TVD. They didn't have to worry about television. And we were able to enjoy a little a little taste of Stargate with the good old SG-1 team now that SG-1 has gone off the air. I thought the the scene, the montage with the three characters overlapping was, was designed so that we could go back on the DVD and, and listen to them speaking individually. Well, you know, I've tried to listen to that clip really closely several times over. And you can catch, I think, probably 75 or 80 percent of it. But he's right, it would be really nice if we could get from Brad the original scripted comments for everybody, because at some point they overlap and fade out and you miss all of what they're saying. Thanks to everyone for writing in this week. We actually had so much feedback that we couldn't use it all. This week's listener question, tell us about your favorite Stargate SG-1 or Atlantis episode that included either a parallel reality or time travel. And the reason we're doing that is because Stargate Atlantis is off this week. So in next week's podcast, we'll be talking about parallel realities and altered timelines. And then on August 19th, we'll return to talk about episode 5 of the fifth season of Atlantis, Ghost in the Machine. On August 26th, we're excited to announce two special guests who will be joining us for our discussion of the Shrine. David Hewlett and his sister Kate, who both appear in the episode, will join hopefully David and I. Maybe just me. David, you're going to be busy at GateCon that weekend. I will be busy with GateCon that weekend. That's right. So, so I hope to make it. We'll see if we can get David Reed on the call. Otherwise, it'll be me and uh, David Hewlett, unfortunately, pinch hitting. I'm sure everybody would rather listen to David Reed than David Hewlett. Right? <laughs> you know it. But no, Darren and, Darren and the Hewlett's. That'll be a lot of fun. Thanks for spending some time with GateWorld today. In this episode, we talked about the Daedalus Variations and previewed our upcoming interview with Carl Binder. Don't forget to call in the new hotline and enter for a chance to win a copy of Stargate Continuum on DVD. We'd also love to hear more of your feedback and answers to the listener question. Post on the podcast feedback thread at GateWorld Forum, or what we'd really like is if you called the hotline at 616-712-1647. If you forget the number, that's also posted in the show notes for Episode 5 at GateWorld right now. From GateWorld.net, this is Darren Sumner. And I'm David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast.